Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. Please turn to number 257 and we'll start our worship with Near the Cross. to worship this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Listen to my words, O Lord. Consider my inmost thoughts. Heed my cry for help, my King and my God. In the morning, when I say my prayers, you will hear me. I set out my morning sacrifice and watch for you, O Lord. For you are not a God who welcomes wickedness. Evil can be no guest of yours. There is no place for arrogance before you. You hate evildoers. You make an end of all liars. 
The Lord detests traitors and men of blood, but I, through your great love, may come into your house and bow low towards your holy temple in awe of you. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness, because my enemies are on the watch. Give me a straight path to follow. That was Psalm 5, 1 to 8. Amen. Uh, That's really what it's all about. Um, We need to constantly guard that we don't get proud or self-sufficient, but always be dependent on the Lord God and, and let him lead. So let us continue to worship the Lord, singing number 513, Lead On, O King Eternal. thinking I was reading just this week in 2 Corinthians, that quote from Jeremiah. Whenever we boast, let us make sure we're always boasting in the Lord and of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful day today and that we can gather here together in your presence. We know that wherever two or three are gathered, your spirit is here in the midst of us, and we thank you and praise you for that. We also pray that you would just um, take away all the distractions and the clutter that is within us right now, and just keep anything that is not of you away from us. Let us be in the bubble of you, that bubble of safety and joy and peace and love. 
And uh, please help us to be changed in this process of worshiping you, that you can be more and more a part of our lives and we can always keep you in first place where you belong. Amen. Amen. And now um, let us take our our bulletin inserts and pray this uh, prayer of confession, which was uh, written by Richard Baxter, a Puritan clergy in Great Britain in the 17th century. O most great, most just and gracious God, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity but you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess that we are sinful by nature and that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbors. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness. We have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in him. But we have turned away. We have run into temptation, and the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess you alone are our hope. Make us your children, and give us the spirit of your Son, our only Savior. Amen. And it is in him, as the Apostle John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us take that assurance of pardon and continue to worship, considering Jesus' love on the cross. First, we'll sing number 262, my Jesus, I love thee, and then 264, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh. 
This is from John 18, 12 to 27, right? Yep. Okay. (laughs) The troops with their commander and the Jewish police now arrested Jesus and secured him. They took him first to Annas. Annas was father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, for that year. The same Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be to their interest if one man died for the whole people. Jesus was followed by Simon Peter and another disciple. This disciple, who was acquainted with the high priest, went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter halted at the door outside. So the other disciple, the high priest's acquaintance, went out again and spoke to the woman at the door and brought Peter in. The maid on duty at the door said to Peter, Are you another of this man's disciples? I am not, he said. 
the servants and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and were standing round it, warming themselves. And Peter, too, was standing with them, sharing the warmth. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about what he taught. Jesus replied, I have spoken openly to all the world. I have always taught in synagogue and in the temple where all Jews congregate. I have said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask my hearers what I told them. They know what I said. When he said this, one of the police who was standing next to him struck him on the face, exclaiming, Is that the way to answer the high priest? Jesus replied, If I spoke amiss, state it in evidence. If I spoke well, why strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter stood warming himself. The others asked, Are you another of his disciples? But he denied it. I am not, he said. One of the high priest's servants, a relation of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, insisted, Did I not see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again, and just then a cock crew. And this is Psalm 17, 1 to 7. Hear, Lord, my plea for justice. Give my cry a hearing. Listen to my prayer, for it is innocent of all deceit. Let judgment in my cause issue from your lips. Let your eyes be fixed on justice. You have tested my heart and watched me all night long. You have assayed me and found in me no mind to evil. I will not speak of the deeds of men. I have taken good note of all your sayings. I have not strayed from the course of duty. I have followed your path and never stumbled. I call upon you, O God, for you will answer me. Bend down your ear to me. Listen to my words. Show me how marvelous your true love can be. Who with your hand does save all who seek sanctuary from their enemies? Amen. That's the word of the Lord. And now um, let us turn to the back of our songbooks to number 626 and let us recite together the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, 
Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Three in one God, you are awesome in that you are both totally strong and full of steadfast love for all your creatures, especially the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Please help us to always acknowledge you before people at all times, declaring your love, forgiveness, and restoration in both our actions and our words. Please deliver us from any temptation to deny you in any way at all because of our human fear. And may we always gather together and support one another at all times. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. And we pray for our brothers and sisters gathered here this morning, as well as for those who can't be with us in person. And we pray also for those who are in other churches. May we all be agents of your grace in Jesus, doing all we can in your strength to bring others into your church to know you, to know forgiveness to know reconciliation, and to also become agents so that we can bring your reconciliation to all people that you bring into our lives every day, everywhere. Please, please, Lord, uh, just lead us. May you lead us, O King. We pray for the world, too. Jesus prayed at Gethsemane that he 
at that time is leaving us in the world. And even now he's leaving us in the world. We're not of the world, but we're left here so that through us, the world may come to know you. Please let it be. And we pray for our enemies and those who are oppressing others. Others that they perceive to be weak. May it be your will that many of these may cross over from death to life in Jesus. Please hear our prayer as we pray the way David prays. May your spirit bring them to the end of themselves and may they repent and receive Jesus through the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. I also just want to ask you this, Father. Um, The National Weather Service has put out a storm alert for Tuesday with high winds and and heavy snow. We pray uh, for a miracle. We pray that people will not lose power during this storm and that um, it will not be as severe as it is being predicted. And we pray for members of our cell in Jesus's body. We pray especially for Ali this morning. Please be with her that she may overcome whatever it is that is draining her strength this day. Um, And please give her a full healing right here on earth right now so she may continue to serve you in our fellowship, also to serve her family too. And we pray for uh, Christine. We pray for Peter and Linda, Billy and Norgi and their mother. We pray for Ken. May he know your presence every minute of every day. And may he seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In fact, that's the prayer for all of us. We need to always be seeking first your kingdom and righteousness. And please continue to be with John and Pat. Please be with uh, Doris and Cindy and Elon. And please, I don't think I've prayed this prayer ever, certainly not in a long time. Please draw those people who are on the membership role of this church and who are physically able to attend, that they would give you at least one hour each week fully devoted to you in worship. That would be a good place to start. And Father, we also pray for uh, extended family, um, Darren and Noel. That's a personal prayer. And for Al and Carol, who, if they were closer, would be here worshiping in person. But as it is, they're virtually worshiping with us. But please bless them also. And Father, um, I also pray now very much that you would be with me and help me and guide me as I seek to explain, interpret, and apply your word for us this morning. And now we come together with one heart and one mind and one voice, praying the words that Jesus left for his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And before we um, dig into God's word together, let us uh, prepare uh, our hearts. There are many trials in this life that we face. So we'll sing number 164, I Must Tell Jesus.
Amen. Much truth in that song. In his weekly address to pilgrims at the Vatican this week, on Wednesday, Pope Francis said, all the baptized, whatever their position in the church or their level of instruction in faith, are agents of evangelism. This was the highlight in a teaching that Christians are not to be passive in their faith relationship with God in Jesus. In fact, together, we are to be active agents and share the love of God for all people, which was shown clearly in Jesus Christ, because all people need to hear the joy of the gospel. Now, I've extracted some of that from the online word-for-word of his eight-minute address this week. I believe all Protestant Christians can endorse the Pope's sentiment um, and his words as truly the calling that God has given to all who are disciples of Jesus Christ in whatever denomination they may belong out of Jesus' church here on earth today. In fact, I would go a little bit further to say that any local church that is not actively evangelizing its neighbors is passively denying Jesus every bit as much as Peter actively denied Jesus in the passage we just heard this morning from John's gospel. In our passage from the gospel, we heard how Peter was all alone in the courtyard of the high priest. He had seen Jesus being led away, bound. And now Jesus is standing trial, and Peter is confused. Soon he will deny three times that he knows Jesus. Now, before we criticize Peter, let us remember, first of all, that in the upper room, Jesus prophesied this, And then he said Peter would later be reconciled back to Jesus. And let us also be asking ourselves, what have we been doing as a church, supporting and encouraging each other to share the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our own neighbors? Now, Um, one, this excerpt that we heard, part of it from David's psalm, I believe it will help us to do a better job in the future of sharing this good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors. There's an antidote to what happened to Peter in there. So now let's prayerfully go deeper, dig deeper into our text, and let us be praying as we're listening that God will empower us to evangelize our neighbors, 
concerning all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus is doing, who he is, to meet the deepest needs of all people. Because uh, without a doubt, people need the Lord. We didn't sing it this morning, but we could. It should be a theme song. Okay. Our text this morning divide into two halves. Very neatly, it just outlined itself the first time I looked at it over a week ago. And the second half mirrors and actually intensifies and drives home stronger the points of the first half. And each half starts with what's happening to Jesus and then what Peter was doing simultaneously. So we can summarize the first half as Jesus is taking bound to the high priest, Simon Peter denies that he is a disciple of him. So it starts out with soldiers seizing Jesus to take him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now let's go through it line by line as John narrates it and then look more deeply as to what that means. Then the cohort of Roman soldiers and the captain and the temple guards seized Jesus and bound him. So who's involved here? And I really look carefully at these words and what they mean. It is uh, a combination and probably kind of a rare combination of Roman soldiers and the temple guards. And, And if you remember when we were doing Chronicles, there's a whole chapter where David set aside certain Levites to guard the temple. Now, this is kind of strange to our modern sensibilities, but the priests were the soldiers of God. Maybe it's not that strange after all. Okay. What was happening? Well, initially they seized Jesus and bound him after he had prayed. John continues, they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. So what's happening now? This, this cohort, this combination of the Roman soldiers and the temple guards, they're leading him away from the olive garden, the, the olive press, Gethsemane, and they're bringing him down to Jerusalem. Now, to whom are they bringing him? First, to Annas. Now, that's a Greek transliteration and a pretty lame one of the Hebrew. His name is Chana, meaning humble. And also to Caiaphas. Again, Greeks always put an S. But in Hebrew, he's got a beautiful name. It is Chahafetz, which means as one who is attractive, uh, comely, and pleasing. In fact, hefetz means pleasing or delightful. So these are the men to whom he was taken. Now, Caiaphas was the one being given counsel to the Jews that it is better one man to die for the people. And this is is amazing. I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this before and heard sermons and teaching. Caiaphas clearly meant that in the short term, 
with all of the stirring up that Jesus was doing, what was happening among the Jews, and the Romans were paying attention, that chosen series is showing this, that the Romans would quash anybody who could possibly be a threat to them. Okay, so that's why these two are are joining together here, and he's saying it's just better. If we get rid of him, and then the Romans will back off on us, and we'll be able to continue to worship our God according to the ways that Moses taught us. But he had no idea, and all prophecy has a short-term application and a long-term application. He could have never conceived that Jesus' death would mean not just all the people of Israel, which is what they called themselves the people, But every single human being on earth, because of Jesus' death, would be enabled and empowered to be children of God, of every nation, language, tongue, tribe, and people. How awesome is that? So that's what's happening with the high priest and Jesus. And now Simon Peter, left all alone in the courtyard of the high priest, denies he's a disciple of Jesus. Let's go back to the text again. But was following Jesus, Simon Peter, and another disciple being known to the high priest. And he went in with Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. Now, this other disciple who was following Peter with Peter, he was John. And and you've probably noticed, you can't miss it if you've ever read his gospel much. John never refers to himself by name. He always uses a euphemism for himself. In this case, it's the other Uh, disciple. Okay. But John was known to the high priest. And some people have suggested, I don't know if I saw this in a study Bible or a commentary once, but it is quite possible that John's father Zebedee being a longstanding fisherman, had somehow worked out a contract with the high priest to be the supplier of fish. And from time to time, John would bring them down, and he got to know the high priest that way. But Peter had stood at the door outside. And then he, meaning John, went out. This other disciple, known to the high priest, and he spoke to the woman who kept the door, and she brought in Peter. So again, Peter was not known. So he's initially excluded because nobody in the whole household, including the slave servant staff, nobody knew he stayed outside. But then we're told John came back. He noticed Peter wasn't with him. He spoke to the woman who kept the door, and she let Peter into the courtyard. Now, let's not miss this. I think it would even be true to some extent today. A woman gatekeeper back then would have been very rare. But I'll explain in a minute what might have been happening. Going back to John's account, then she's saying to Peter, the slave girl doorkeeper. You see, slaves, anything could be expected of them. Being a slave was probably even lower than being a woman. And then she says, not also thou of the disciples 
thou are being of this man? And he is saying this, not I am being. Now, I was listening very carefully to the translation that was read, and it absolutely supports what I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, All languages have this, but it just absolutely sticks out in Greek. She's phrasing her question in a way that she is expecting a negative answer. She really doesn't think that Peter is a disciple, but she's asking him. So right here, there is no threat in this question because she's expecting Peter to say no. But Peter does deny Jesus. He obliges her by giving her the answer she expected. But this is true of everything about following Jesus. The easy answer in this case is, in fact, the denial of Jesus. At the very time he's being brought before the high priest to be interrogated. Then John continues. Um, But the servants had stood and the temple guards a charcoal fire they had made because cold it was being and they were warming themselves, but also it was being Peter with them had stood warming himself. Now, I'm going to ask us all to try to have the feelings of Peter, to try to get into this story, to enter it as Peter. The cold spring night, and remember, Passover comes the first full moon of spring, was appropriate for how Peter must have felt in his heart and mind. Um, He's denied his Savior. He's denied his Messiah. But due to this inertia, I think that we can all feel, I know it happens to me, of dealing with his denial, his denial of Jesus. He needed physical warmth. He's already becoming numb. He's starting to sink. He's starting to go under. That concludes the first half. Now we get the second half with the same pattern. While Jesus is being questioned with hostility, Simon Peter denies him twice more. Like I said, it's more intense the second half. Okay. So Jesus is asked about his disciples and his teaching, and he replies. He's always spoken in the open, and they already know his answers, what he would say. So again, going back to John's text, his narration, just like the first half, then the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine, and he answered Jesus I openly, I have spoken to the world. I always, I taught in the synagogue and the temple where always the Jews are coming together. And in secret, I've said nothing. So the high priest is questioning Jesus about his doctrine, his didaske, what he had taught the people. And specifically what he had taught the people about God's covenant as expressed through Moses to Israel. And in essence, Jesus is saying all of his teaching has been an open book. He's saying that he always taught 
where the people of God gathered together, where the Jewish people would be in the synagogues and the temple, both worshiping God and receiving instruction from him. And he said, no secrets. What you hear from me is who I am, always where I am, whatever I am, no changes. He continues, why me are thou asking? Thou must ask them which have heard me. What I have said to them, behold, they have known what I said, even I. He's emphatically saying, ask anyone. Everybody knows, okay? Because he always spoke in the open. And many, many Jews had heard him just question them, what he had spoken, what he had taught. And now we get an interesting little sidelight here. I love this. But these, meaning the words of him, having spoken, one which stood by who was of the temple guards, gave an open-handed slap to Jesus, having said, in this way are thou answering the high priest? So... I labeled this an offended third-level guard. You see, the reality is with Roman soldiers standing by and their captain, a mere temple guard who would be considered by Rome as beneath not only just the soldiers, but certainly under the captain. This one has taken offense at the way Jesus answered the high priest. And he asked an incredulous question of Jesus. The grammar is surely a question, but you can see he just can't believe, you know, Jesus would do that to the high priest. And then John says, answer to him, Jesus. If evil I have spoken, thou must bear witness concerning the evil. What did I say? But if well I have spoken, why me art thou striking? Striking. Jesus answers with a question. And of course, if we've read any of the Gospels, we know Jesus frequently answered questions with pointed questions. Not simple questions, but pointed ones. And here's an example. All that Jesus spoke was obviously well and correct. So he's putting the guard on the defensive. So this guard will realize the goodness of Jesus' teaching, especially in contrast, in contrast to the proud and worldly high priests of the day. Okay. Now, we're told Annas sent him who had been bound, meaning Jesus, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay, I did some, some research, okay, into this. And, and here's what happened, and, and I guess I already knew this. Annas had been removed as the high priest around 15 AD, okay? He, he's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He's, he's an older man now, okay? 
but he was still called by the title of high priest, kind of as an honorary professor or a professor emeritus, which is why John had been calling him a high priest all the way up to this point. But now he's sending him to Caiaphas, who is officially the high priest. So it's kind of like a high priest and a high priest emeritus. And now we come back to Simon Peter. Simon Peter denies Jesus twice. First to all of those standing around the fire, and then to a relative of the man whose ear he had cut off. But it was being Simon Peter had stood in his warming himself, And therefore they said to him, not also thou of his disciples, thou art being. And he denied this one. I think that means Jesus, the one. And he said, not I am being. So again, the first question had been a softball question. You know, here, you can't miss this one. It's an easy one. We're expecting you to say no. And together, this group, when they ask him, they're doing it in a way that they expect Peter to say he's not. Again, there's no pressure on Peter to tell the truth about his relationship to Jesus. But now, understand, Jesus is actually on trial before the former and current high priest. Peter has had time to reflect, but still he's doubling down on his denial of Jesus. Peter just does not have the strength in himself to acknowledge in public his relationship with Jesus. And while Jesus is on trial, his disciple denies him. And then he's saying, one of the servants of the high priest being the kinsman of the one whose ear Peter had cut off. Didn't thee, I see, in the garden with him. And then again, he denied Peter. And immediately the rooster cried out. So now Peter is directly confronted. And we heard it in the translation we heard read by a kinsman, a man who was actually there in the garden as well, whose ear Peter had severed with a sword in the garden of Gethsemane. This is a hardball question. It's a high hard one right under the chin. This one questions Peter with a phrasing that demands a yes answer. I saw you admit it because he was sure he saw Peter with Jesus and defending Jesus to the point of using a sword. And even in the face of this, Peter still denies Jesus in his moment of trial. It is what Jesus had prophesied. Now it has happened. While Jesus is on trial, his disciple denies him. And then This passage concludes, when the rooster crowed, Peter fully realized what he had done. And Luke describes it ever so well. He broke down and he happened to look up and Jesus was just coming out and looked him in the eye and Peter was devastated. Okay, that's Peter. Let's bring it home. May this dangerous truth 
be impressed upon us that whenever we lose our sense of Jesus, that he is all-powerful, the all-powerful Savior, we are in danger of denying Jesus, and especially if we are alone, if we're not being supported by other believers. And I say this with a broken heart to anybody who thinks, you know, why do I need the church? Why can't it just be me and Jesus? Uh Uh-uh. We're not strong enough alone. We need to be supporting, encouraging, and exhorting one another, or or we'll be in danger of being just like Peter. And, And Peter was much closer to Jesus than most people are today. Well, I said we're going to look at David's psalm, and I really believe as we go through this, now David wasn't perfect either, all right, but but David had a heart that was just unshakable for God. So um, he prays to his God as the savior of all people who take refuge in him to maintain his righteousness, his own personal righteousness. He knows he can't do it alone. And again, I'm going to do this like the Psalter. I'm going to give you the best literal translation of the Hebrew words that David wrote, even knowing it's a different language. So here we go. Thou must hear Yahweh righteousness. Thou must give attention, my cry. Thou must give ear, my prayer, and not lips of deceit. So here's a petition. There's two commands in there for the covenant God to listen to David and that David could be maintained in righteousness without being deceitful in any way. And David continues, from thee, my justice will come forth. Thy eyes will see uprightness. Now, these are both written in the future tense. These are strong expressions of faith. David has faith based on his relationship with God that justice will come to him in the uprightness of God and that will be given to him as a gift of grace. This is an expectation. David's living an expectation of God taking care of him. Continuing, David says, and he's looking back on years of relationship. Thou have tried my heart. Thou have visited by night. Thou have tested me and will not find wickedness. And now his hope. It will not transgress going over my mouth. So he's saying, you will guard my lips and my mouth and what I will say. Because his God has continually examined David in the past and found him without fault, David has confidence in God, therefore, that he will not greatly sin in the future. David continues, to the works of Adam, meaning mankind, the human race, in the word of thy lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent to uphold my steps in thy path. They have not slipped my feet. What is all this about? God's word. 
What David is saying, God's word has sustained him. So he's not fallen away from God. So let's go back to Peter. Let's go back to the danger of the sin, of denying God, of not being in God's will, of not pleasing God. Because God's word sustained David, he didn't fall away. What was Peter's problem? He had forgotten Jesus's word to him. He was overconfident in himself. Remember in our call to worship, it talked about how the proud are in danger from God. God will not be with the proud, okay? And that is why while Jesus was on trial, his disciple Peter had denied him. He had forgotten God's word. He wasn't sustained by God's word. And in his own strength, he fell. David concludes, I, even I, will call on thee because thou will answer me, God. Thou must stretch out thy ear to me. Thou must hear my speech. I love this. Thou must wonderfully cause thy strong love. And those who seek refuge from those who are rising up, trusting at thy right hand. So first, David is expressing great confidence for a positive answer to his request of God. And what is the basis of this? He strongly petitions God to act wondrously in his behalf, in his behalf as king for all who are seeking refuge in God and his word. This is a wonderful king that he doesn't just pray about himself, but he's praying for all of his people. And why will they find refuge? Because of God's strong love for people, his wonderful love. And it's now manifested in Jesus Christ. If we are in Jesus Christ, we can experience God's wonderful love. We can have the joy of his salvation, the joy of his love. God saves those taking refuge in him by his word, including his living word, Jesus. So let's sum this all up. It won't take that long. It's a pretty simple story. A detachment of Roman soldiers and Jewish temple guards seized Jesus. They bound him and took him to the high priest to be interrogated. Meanwhile, John and Peter followed and were allowed into the courtyard of the high priest because of John's relationship. Now, when John went in, Peter was alone in the courtyard with many people, and he denied Jesus three times. But 1,000 years earlier, David prayed for God to justify his righteousness, to keep David righteous, along with all people who take refuge in him as their savior. That's our hope, to stay in Jesus Christ and in his word. Because while Jesus is on trial, his disciple, Peter, denied him. But may we not deny him. May we not deny him because we stay in the word, in the word of God. So 
Let us sing for our final song, number 179, How Firm a Foundation. If we stay on the foundation, on the rock of Jesus Christ, we will not fall. 179. It's an appropriate, uh, good word, benediction, to hear what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. And he's talking about when Christ was with Israel in the wilderness. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands Take heed, lest he fall. No temptation is overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. So let us close with the chorus, thy word. And let us just sing it to the Lord and let it be, uh, become our theme song. Mm-hmm.
You're alone. 